Hey guys, welcome back to The Weekly. I'm Danny Giacopelli, Courier's Editorial Director. This week on the show, I caught up with Chris Black, the man behind fashion consulting business Done to Death Projects, where he works with the likes of Tom Brown and Stussy, and Public Announcement, his brand consultancy that he runs with his friend and business partner James Ellis. One thing I wanted to talk to Chris about today is if and how fashion companies are reckoning with their shaky supply chains, shaky ethics, and unsustainable business models in light of COVID-19. Tons of people have pointed out that more sustainable brands might emerge from the crisis, which would be fantastic if true. But Chris is skeptical. Also ahead, how writers are creating micro-economies for themselves with paid newsletters. Chris's views on Peloton, and if the era of hype has come to an end. Here's Chris. I've been in LA from July on. I haven't really been in New York in months. But from what I hear, the anarchist jurisdiction is popping. All reports are very positive, but I think it's positive if you like party because it's kind of lawless. Yeah, it's like Mad Max. Totally. Like it's like 90s. Rent is cheap. You can do drugs on the street. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a different animal than it used to be. But again, I've had a lot of friends visit here and they've said that the darkness feels lifted a little bit. But as we go into winter, you know, who knows what, what will happen? Why are you in L.A. right now? You're living in a hotel in L.A. Just because like, why not? Jason and I started our podcast, How Long Gone, in like March, and it kind of has just been steamrolling. It's going really well. And I just thought it would be good for him and I to be in the same place, even if we're not recording together every day. You know what I mean? I feel like it's just the synergy is better. Not to mention all my friends live here and you can play tennis every day. It's been a good combo. I think the lifestyle and the weather and stuff was perfect to get me in the right mindset to... um you know, ride this thing out. I mean, I've, I've been following you on Twitter for a long time. We actually only really connected quite recently, right? You have a great Twitter account. You have lots of people who follow you. What do you do, Chris? What's public announcement? Tell the audience. I have two businesses. Done to Death Projects is me, and that's mostly fashion consulting. So I'm working with brands like Tom Brown and Stussy, Arteryx Valence, Corridor, Museum of Peace and Quiet, and a few others. And then Public Announcement is a, an agency I started with my longtime friend and business partner, James Ellis. And it's more of a traditional agency model where we work with all kinds of different brands, less fashion, more just other stuff. You know what I mean? We did a podcast for a long time. We also have a destination homepage that we created that's kind of like a wild edit of the World Wide Web that we do together, and as well as a daily newsletter Monday through Friday. What's your take on how fashion brands are adapting to this insane environment right now? You work with a lot of them. First of all, like quote unquote sustainability, is that the future of fashion brands or is that all bullshit now and it's been proven to be, you know, a bit of a hollow thing? I don't know if it's bullshit, but I don't think a customer actually cares. You know what I mean? I think it's one of those things where if I see something I like, I'm going to buy it. If it happens to be sustainable or environmentally friendly, that's a bonus. But I'm not going to buy something I like less because it's sustainable. I just think that it's not a sexy talking point. I think leading with it as a brand is just a little bit boring. I also think it's a dire situation in some ways, you know, as far as like the actual environment and global warming and what's happening. So it's kind of a tough balance, I think, of like not boring your customer with a bunch of fucking knowledge they don't really care about and also trying to do the right thing as a business and try to, you know, keep us on earth a little bit longer. If you were to paint a picture of the fashion industry right now, from a macro sense, what would that look like? I mean, I think the big guys are really scrambling to figure out what the world looks like with no shows and, and all of the stuff and the trappings that they're used to. I think the smaller brands that are they're selling, you know, they have a few wholesale accounts, they're selling direct. 
all the people I know are thriving. Like people are doing very, very well in a certain arena. I think that if you had a lot of employees and a bloated overhead and multiple offices and multiple stores and blah, 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 I think this hit you really hard. I think if you were pretty nimble and pretty small and and your customers coming to you directly, I think you're probably doing better than you were before. Yeah. What kind of brands are we talking about? I mean, I think a brand like, are you familiar with Dime? Like Dime is a big skate brand from Montreal that's kind of crossed over into fashion, but you know, their store has been closed the whole time and they're thriving. I work with a brand called Museum of Peace and Quiet. They've been doing very, very well selling out of everything they make. Stussy, who I work with, all the collaborations are selling out and doing very well. You know, I, I think it's just that if you have the customer locked in at the right price point, I think you're doing okay. I think that retail obviously is a different animal, but if you're able to sell direct online and, and through Instagram or whatever it may be, I think you're doing fine. Yeah, because we had on Dan Frommer the other day on the podcast, and he was saying he foresaw the end of multi-brand e-commerce websites, marketplaces. You know, what do you think about that? I love and respect Dan. <laughs> and, but but, I, I, but I, I mean, I disagree. I think that, that the thing is, and this is what I've been saying kind of the whole time, is that, you know, the old guard of fashion is not gone. You know what I mean? So those people that want shows and want multi-brand stores are still in charge and still writing the checks. So those things are going to continue to exist. You know what I mean? It's it's not like the pandemic has put 26-year-olds in charge who want to flip the system on its head. That's not what's happened. So I think that a lot of them will go away, but I think that that's fine because there's five multi-brand stores in the world that matter anyway. You know, you want to be in DSM, you want to be Mr. Porter, you want to be Essence. And like, there's only a handful of them anyway. So I think those can survive and maybe some of the smaller ones will go away, but that's probably okay. What other brands have like caught your radar recently that you think are going to do well out of this whole crisis? I mean, a brand that I'm, uh, guys that I'm friends with that I really like called District Vision, that's kind of like a running brand that started with glasses. Those guys, they're moving their operation to LA. Um, I think they're expanding into more technical clothing. The price point's really good. Um, I think as people continue to exercise, you know, outside and running is obviously the most democratic form of exercise. I think that they will thrive if they can keep the price point where it is because it's very, very competitive. You know, I think something like that is an interesting case study just because of it feels modern, but it's also affordable and cool. And that's kind of a rare trifecta to find. It seems like everybody's obsessed with Tracksmith these days. Are you? Yeah. I mean, I actually, my partner and I worked at Tracksmith for like a year and a half. Matt, the founder is a genius. Like he's brilliant. I really like him. And and we worked with uh, Lee who handles all the in-house communications there. I think from a brand standpoint, it's very strong. It's interesting because it doesn't speak to me at all because I'm like a Nike district vision guy. And that's to me the opposite aesthetically, but the way they have been able to stick to it. And it's just so clear and directional what they have. I think that's a very powerful thing as a brand. District vision is quite poppy colors, right? Really bright, really like. It's just, it's just a little more I mean, Tracksmith is just super traditional. It's, it's rooted in like endemic running and like a certain era of like Northeastern kind of preppiness that I actually, again, I think when I look at it from far away, I appreciate it because it's such a clear vision. I think that's smart. And I think that's Matt's kind of approach. Just for me personally, like District Vision's approach and Nike's approach, like the way it actually looks appeals to me more. But Tracksmith is incredibly functional and, and really durable and you can't really beat it for the price. You know, when we were talking a bit earlier on about talking later, you mentioned that something that really interests you recently is, you know, writers creating 
newsletters and paid newsletters, getting money for it, having a really committed community around them and making like a, generally a, a micro economy around them. We've talked about this a lot on How Long Gone with a few different guests. And it's funny because I'm already exhausted by it now. <laughs> like, I feel like it's already like I feel like we're already hitting fatigue point. Everybody has a sub stack. Yeah. I mean, I think it's it's we want to pay for what we want to read. I think that comparing like subscribing to a single person newsletter to the New York Times or, or you know, something of that caliber is insane. I mean, I've seen a little bit of that happening, but I do think that we just want to directly support the people that we like. And that, that speaks to where we are as a society. And it's, it's probably a good thing as like a action overall. But I, I just think that it's tough for me to find voices that I care about that much that I want to hear from every day. But it's not about the money. I think the money is the thing is it's very, very affordable and it's a way to support someone. I think that's more what it's about. The community and support is more what it's about than the actual content itself is the reality. But how do you think that'll affect the media industry if you have superstar writers and columnists kind of leaving to start their own thing and, you know, bringing their followers with them? It's an interesting time because if you can build up a following on Twitter and a sub stack, like, do you still need to contribute to these publications to get your name out? I mean, for me, you know, as a 38 year old man, I, and I've said this before, I care. Like, I want my bylines in places that I respect and that I grew up reading. That's more important to me than making $1,000 a month on a sub stack or to a couple thousand dollars a month on a sub stack. But I also have other income streams. You know what I mean? If I was trying to be a writer, I don't know what would be better for me. I mean, I think the reality is you should do all of it. You know what I mean? And basically understand which things go to the newsletter, which things go to Twitter, and which things go to a more classic publication. And I think that is still something that, that people will have to figure out how to navigate in the, in the near future. Another thing you said was interesting that caught your eye was the return of the QR code. Yeah, dude, because I, I look, I've made fun of QR codes as like the stupidest shit since I had a Blackberry. And I still think that. But now everybody needs it to kind of read a menu in a restaurant. Exactly. I mean, I started seeing it in menus and restaurants. And now there was a Vogue business article today about how fashion is going to use them. And, and I just think for the menu purpose, it's actually really useful. And I was shocked at how seamless it was. So it's, it's funny to see a technology that I thought was completely archaic and done and kind of silly from the get-go come kind of necessary in our COVID society. How's fashion going to use it? I didn't even read the story yet. I imagine it's probably a little more silly. The menu thing, I think the reason it works is because it's the only option. They only offer you that option. You know, if fashion tries to get too creative with it, I think people will just be exhausted. I'm personally exhausted with AI and all this bullshit people are talking about, you know, because we can't get together in real life. Like, I'd much rather see a beautiful photo or a video than a fucking composite robot wearing clothes. That just doesn't interest me personally. Um, <laughs> and I think some people are going to do it and be creative with it and probably do a great job and hire these insane technologists to, to like make this stuff happen. I just don't think that like that has never appealed to me. And I don't think that appeals to me anymore now that we have less options to do things in real life. What else is overrated? I mean, everything, dude. What do you mean? I mean, I don't know. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm kidding. But I mean, I think I get a lot of flack for, you know, speaking my mind and saying that things are bad. You know, I get equally excited about things that I like. It's just not as fun to talk about. That's just what it is. I think I'm not alone in that. You know, we talked about this yesterday on our podcast with Sam Hockley Smith, who's a writer and a, a longtime music journalist and critic. And it's like, people are so anti-criticism now. And what does that mean? Like, why is it not okay for me to say Frank Ocean is boring? You know what I mean? Like, why does that offend you so much? Why do we hold on to these things? You know, if somebody wants to come up to me and say that the Lemonheads suck, which is my Frank Ocean, I'm okay with you not liking that. You know what I mean? But I think fandom has become completely insane. And I mean, you see it online, people getting doxxed for giving Taylor Swift an 8.0 on Pitchfork. It's like, 
the fandom has become insane. I think we compartmentalize it into like, you know, BTS fans, but the reality is we're all kind of like that. You know what I mean? If I go on Twitter right now and say Lana Del Rey sucks, my day's ruined. You know what I mean? And obviously I could give a more nuanced take that maybe would incite a reasonable debate versus just a binary, you know, response, but that's where we are. It's so tribal and so dedicated. And one of the more interesting kind of casualties of COVID, and you know, it's by far probably the least important out of all the casualties, obviously, but is that restaurant criticism is kind of dead now, right? Because who wants to rip apart a restaurant when the industry is on its last legs? One of the big restaurant critics in London said, you know, I'm now not going to write negative reviews probably ever again. I mean, that's insane to me. Then you should probably find a new job because what's the point? You know what I mean? Everything can't be good. You know, it just can't. That's just where we are. Like, And obviously things are are taste-based to an extent, but we give these people room to do this because for a myriad of reasons, they have gained our trust. You know what I mean? So it's like, we have to let these people do their jobs. And I think it's interesting to hear both sides. And I always have. And I think that with music for me is probably the most common just because that's my background. That's a lot of people that I spend time with. And fashion is the same thing. You know, it's like we can talk about Telfar and I think the clothes are completely unwearable, but that doesn't matter because it's important from a bigger standpoint. It's more than clothes. You know what I mean? So I understand that. I understand that it's a bigger thing for representation and diversity and all of the things that are really important right now. That doesn't mean I'm going to go out and buy a bag or wear the clothes, but that's okay. I, I understand its value goes far, far beyond a garment. And I think that's kind of where we need to see things and, and where their value stems. What kind of, you know, really big opportunities do you see coming from the fashion world as a response to COVID? I mean, we've been talking about this for the past half year, more transparent supply chains, more focus on slow, blah, blah, blah. I mean, what's your take? I don't think anybody cares about any of that is the reality. I think the industry likes to talk about that. I think the customer wants hot shit they can buy and get and wear. I don't think we've seen any real change yet, nor will we for a while. Because if you go on high snobiety or hype beast, it's like the end of the hype era. Streetwear is over. Like there's all these apocalyptic warnings that like people are going to stop buying trendy shit. Yeah, no, the trend will just change. People won't stop buying trendy shit. But then why are people saying that? I fail to understand all these kind of like doomsayers who are saying this is all going to happen. Because that's the temperature of society right now. You know what I mean? In a logical state, it would make sense for these things to end. But like... I don't know about you, but I walk outside and all that shit is the same. I still see people wearing it. I know the shit is selling. Like all these fucking sneakers that are coming out are, are going for thousands of dollars on fucking StockX. So like, you know, if you're writing about this business, then you, you have to kind of take swings. You know what I mean? And I understand that swing seeming logical. But to me, whether it's a t-shirt with a logo on it or something sustainable, if people are buying it, it's selling out, then it's still, you know, quote unquote hype, right? You know what I mean? It doesn't matter what the product is. To me, hype actually means a lot of people wearing it, a lot of people talking about it, a lot of people buying it. So that could be a lot of things. It doesn't have to be, you know, streetwear, quote unquote. I will say that stylistically, I think people want to return to like, you know, quote unquote, real clothing. What do you mean by that? I've been in LA for three months. I, I've barely worn pants. You know, I mean, I've been wearing shorts all the time because it's because <laughs> it's 100 degrees. Yesterday, we had a Tom Brown shoot here and I put on my full uniform, like a suit, brogues, the whole thing. And like, I hadn't done that in six months and it felt amazing. Oh, yeah. I saw you tweet. You said you felt like the fanciest guy in LA. Dude, I was killing. Yeah, I thought people were just going to hand me money when I walked outside. You know what I mean? But but the <laughs> but the idea of dressing for even minor occasions, I 
I think is going to happen for anyone who likes clothes or anyone who just wants to feel good. And that's why shopping has been so popular during this time, whether it's clothing or garbage on Amazon you don't need. The reality is we want dopamine. We want to feel something. And we're not getting that with human interaction. So we're going to get it with buying. And you know we can't be seen by friends now. So we're going to have to post on Instagram or whatever. There's still ways to get that same high and feeling. It might be a little less, but there are still ways to do it. And that goes back to buying clothing and talking about clothing. Your friends in the fashion industry who are designers or are, you know, founders of, of companies, are they changing much of what they do or are they, as you just said, assuming that people will just keep buying stuff and that the world will continue spinning? I think I'm in a position where I can say that, but I don't think anybody that's actually, you know, doing this for a living from a design or brand ownership standpoint can be as brazen. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think they have to think about it a little more critically than I do as far as a bottom line standpoint. But no, I think people are definitely making some changes here and there. But the bottom line is we have to go on, right? These businesses, for them to survive, they have to keep making stuff and they have to keep selling stuff and they have to keep promoting the stuff. So I think there are definitely changes happening, but I think that we're going to condense the shows and do some of that stuff, which makes sense from a buying standpoint. But you know, it also helps a carbon footprint and all of that stuff. So it's like, I think that some of it will happen. I think a lot of it is speculation. What about Peloton? Dude, I, I'm, I'm literally sitting in the club. I finished Peloton at 8.03 and you, you called me at 8.15 a.m. What do you reckon? Because, you know, the one thing that's really interesting in the last couple of weeks is, you know, Apple launching their fitness kind of product line division. You know, they're going to take over the world. Is it now like a, a two horse race? Is it like Peloton versus Apple forever? Look, I've made fun of Peloton since it came out. You know what I mean? I was like, this is a workout for like fat rich guys is what I used to say all the time. And then, you know, I, I tweaked my ankle running. There's a Peloton here at Villa Carlotta where I'm staying and I get on it and I'm like, oh shit, okay. I totally understand why people love this so much. And now I use it, you know, until my ankle is back, you know, I'm using it three or four times a week and they just introduced a bunch of new boot camp classes and like band workouts and I think a lot of us will want to return to the gym because it's just like, if you live in New York, working out at home is not really an option. You know what I mean? But I do think the Peloton spike and they're introducing you know new products, obviously like a higher price bike and a lower price treadmill. I think that those products are going to succeed. And I think Peloton is the leader. No one can really touch them. Apple stuff, like I didn't look into it deeply, but it seemed like the response was pretty tepid, but it's fucking Apple. You know what I mean? So like they can do whatever they want. I think that Peloton, you know, at least all my friends that have bought one, you know, the service is incredible. They come in, they set it up for you, the whole thing. And, and I think that I'm in, I'm sold. And I was very, very skeptical. So if I'm sold and I'm a, a skeptic, I can only imagine what someone who's open to the idea um, will think about it and, and buy it, you know, over and over the different product offerings when you're building like a proper home gym. As you said at the beginning, you have a you know brand consultancy, you have two kind of things that you do. How do guys like you survive tough times like this? Has it been a goldmine as people rush to you to say, what the hell do we do? How do we stand out from the crowd? Or has work dried up? No, work is good. And I think it's exactly what you said. I think people are looking for solutions and strategy and communications help and just outside brains to help them kind of guide the brand through whatever we're going through. I think it's valuable. And I, I think that people also, you know, I think after three or four months, it was kind of like, okay, shit, the world is going to go on. We have to do things to make money and continue to feel relevant. And I think that guys like me probably benefited from that. I've had a lot of, you know, serious conversations with, you know, clients in the last six months. And I think that we've come out on the other side, you know, for the most part, some people are more difficult than others, but everybody needs to figure out what the next move is. And that's it this week. As always, if you've got any questions or comments, you can reach me at Daniel at couriermedia.co. The Courier Weekly is back again next Friday. Thanks for listening.